0: Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's a world champion swimmer, entrepreneur, Olympian representing Great Britain, motivational speaker, business coach, and mentor. It's Chris Cook. How are you doing today, Chris?
1: Very good. Thanks, Alex. That sounds like quite a long list, doesn't it? I
0: Am I missing anything on that resume right there? No, no that makes me sound fantastic. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you on the show and learn all Thanks. about your Rise to the Challenge. What we like to do first is go right to being Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? That's
1: a great question. Um, So I'm from the UK, as you can tell from the accent. I'm from England, um, northeast of England, from a small town called South Shields. Um, and I live in a town called Yom, which is only about an hour and a half further south. Um, It's not that far away. And yeah, I've I've got two kids and a wife and businesses. Um, But when I was growing up, I was... I loved just playing out with my friends. That was the, my whole childhood was just playing out <laughs> and I loved it. Um, I feel quite lucky that we didn't grow up in a digital era, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> Whilst I love the digital platforms that we've got, as a kid, I didn't really touch anything digital as such. It was always out and about. And my real passion was swimming. I loved swimming. Um. And that became very apparent when yeah, when
0: I started at the swimming club. When you were playing with your friends at a young age, were you kind of in that mindset like I just wanted to just be outside? Like cause you kind of talked about you didn't do anything digital or you weren't watching TV or anything, but you just wanted to have fun and enjoy the time that you had.
1: Yeah, that was it. It was just who can I go and find to to just play? You know, that it was just all around play. It started, I suppose my swimming career started at the age of nine when I started to learn to the skills of competition. But before then, it was just, I didn't even really know what it was about. I remember watching the 1980 Olympic TV and thinking, oh, this looks really cool. Like, how do people get there? Where, where, where does it start? And it was my grandmother who said, well, if you dream big and start small, anything's possible. And that started the process. Cogs ticket at the age of nine, that seed if you like. Um, but yeah, before the age of nine, it was just play. It was just fun. with my friend.
0: Was swimming always that sport that you wanted to kind of further your career with at a young age, or was there anything else that was catching your eye?
1: Well, that's, a good, that's a good one. You know, I, I did love watching other sports, but When I I went to play them, I never got that buzz. I never forget going into the pool for the first time, the swimming pool. And swimming pools can not, sometimes, especially indoors, they can be very unenticing. You know, they're not very inviting with the noise Mm -hmm. and the atmosphere and the smell of chlorine. And this was back in like 1988 when it was like, (laughs) pools were nowhere near as good as they are now. and um, They weren't particularly the most amazing places to be around. I remember feeling the fear and still stepping into the arena. And I got in there. And when I got into the pool, I was put in the last lane, in the slowest lane, right at the back of the slowest lane. <laughs> <laughs> and I still just loved it. I just loved it. And little bit by little bit, the people and the characters that I met started to, shall we say, colour my character, help me to sort of find my character, scaffold it and build it.
0: What is something that you learned about yourself swimming that you didn't know that you had it in you?
1: Oh, what a good question that is. Um, I, I learned that I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert, I'm a painful introvert, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned to become a guest speaker. I've learned to become a global keynote speaker on many stages now, a lot of virtual stages. But that's a skill I've learned. Swimming taught me that there's a place for everybody. And it doesn't matter where you start, what matters is where you want to end up. And that 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 one thing that's I would say swimming has taught me is we've got a fingerprint for a reason that's different from everybody else's. And we've got to use uniqueness and we've got to put that fingerprint on the world. And we we've got to celebrate those differences. Whilst there's a lot of similarities between us all, we've got it out there and and celebrate and create not just find i love coaching people and i coach one-to-one with people all the time and i say to them often let's get out of that find mindset and let's get into a create let's create stuff let's go out and make that person and um, so swimming kind of taught me that that you've got a fingerprint for a reason it's unique for a reason get out of the world and use it just because you don't fit the mold doesn't mean to say you can't create your own
0: no, I think that's a great um, thought right there, because at times where people are growing up, they kind of want to idolize or kind of mimic their favorite athlete in a way. And when they're not able to mimic oh, I can't even speak today, mimic it perfectly, that there's something unique that they can get out of themselves. And they kind of need to focus on that part. Because like I say, I'm not like one of those top TV host or interviewers, but I have that unique style that's perfect for me. And that makes me unique. And I kind of have to focus on that part. So I think definitely with sports, I think if you find that niche or in that kind of skill, the creative side that you said is perfect, because I think that's a lot of what kids need to know nowadays. And they're not getting that because they only have to be perfect. They're not what makes them out there or their skills that they play well with?
1: Yeah, that's so true. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there. There's so much comparison now more than ever. Yeah, You know, we've got phones that we can dip the social media and we can compare on social media. We can compare on so many different levels, but actually comparison is only one element of competition. And in fact, it's probably the weakest element the strongest element is comparing you with you and reflecting on your own shoulder. And that's what I always say to people is just forget trying to measure up against somebody else because often your, your chapter one does not compare to somebody else's chapter 57. And we often try to do that. (laughs) You look at people who are doing it and they're doing it and they've been doing it for 20, 30 years. And we go, we only started last week, but we're going to compare ourselves to them. just doesn't match up and it shouldn't match up reflecting over your own shoulder and i think you know to answer your question i think some of the questions you're asking are some of the best i've ever heard so i really wouldn't put yourself down like that and but that's it that's another skill i feel that world-class people have or the attitude of a world-class person is they ask themselves some really strong questions some fundamental questions you know one of the one of the questions i used to ask on a regular basis is How can I be a little bit better than I was yesterday? And when I ask that question and I answer it with honesty, the last part which makes you world-class is action. Because asking it's just the first step. The second step is answering it. But the third one is the one that really puts the rubber to the track, and that is action. Just starting it.
0: Growing up, did you have any inspirations or someone that motivated you? Or was there an athlete that was inspiring to you to be a great swimmer?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there was many, many athletes over the years. But the first one that turned my head was a guy called Ivan Morehouse. He won a gold medal for Great Britain um, in the men's hundred meters breaststroke in 1988 at the Seoul Olympic Games. Um, eight months later, I got the chance to meet him. Um, I went to a road show, um, Speedo, the brand Speedo, were doing a road show and showcasing all their athletes, and he was one of them, and I think he was one of them, and he was at this road show. I, was, I went along to swim, swam alongside him, got a photograph of his medal, and a big thumbs up, cheesy grin, all of that. <laughs> and, yeah, I remember meet, meeting him for, and another guy called Nick Gillingham for the first time. He was a silver medalist as well. And I remember thinking... If I could get as tall as them, because I was only nine at the time, if I could get as tall as them, as strong as them, I could be them. (laughs) And Little did I realize in that moment, but that nine-year-old me was normalizing their achievements. It sounds like I was belittling them a bit. I wasn't. What I was doing is I was kind of bringing it back to, hang on, they were nine once, they were me once, and and if I can take the similar route, if not more, then surely I'm going to be them. And that kind of that inspired me, um, and I genuinely believe that the people that you keep the closest contact with are the people that, who have the biggest impact. So whilst we whilst we step away from our heroes and we've got them in our mind and we might put a poster on our wall, which I did, it, it's not really that person that inspires you as such or motivates you. It's the people around you, it's the people who are with you day in day out who just drip feed that bit of extra information that you need just at the right time for the right scenario, situation. They're the people who are the real heroes of your story. And I was very lucky. I had a lot of them from swimmers who were older than me, people who were older than me, who took me under their wing, um, who challenged me, who wouldn't let me off with with something, um, who held me accountable, who were harsh. You know, if you didn't make the cut, you weren't in the team, that was it. There was no grey area, it was black and white, you're not good enough. At the age of 14, 13, 15, hearing that you're not good enough, well, that's quite a good lesson to learn because, you know, not everybody's going to get the job interview and not everybody's going to get the job. (laughs) So you learn from a, a young age in sport, I feel, that, hey, it's here for you if you want it, but if you don't get it, you might have to rethink strategy. And So from a very young age, little did I realize, but it was preparing me for a life as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a a dad and a husband, it was preparing me for all those trials and tribulations that we naturally go through.
0: I think kids nowadays definitely need to have that kind of feeling of rejection or not getting what they wanted. Because a lot of times it's always a conversation where families just give them everything and they don't earn it. And I think when you earn that spot on the team, or you earn that medal, I think it's more rewarding because you see the all the hard work that you put in. And going back with the um, talking about the inspirations, those athletes, like you said, have been in your shoes, they've been a normal person, and they've had to earn to get to where they are today. So going through that route and understanding that they just didn't snap the finger and they're that good. They had to earn to get to that spot where they are today. That's so true. And there's, like you said, there's a sense of pride. You
1: can't buy pride. You earn it. There's a difference between that. You earn it through hard work, rolling your sleeves up, getting stuck in and doing what you can. And, you know, you go through the injuries, you go through the illnesses. You know, I was obsessed when I was a kid. I was obsessed with watching athletes when they crossed the line at the track and they screamed their heads off or they all hugged each other on the pitch when they scored that goal and they cried, you'd see grown men crying. Out, why, why? And I sit thinking, why are they, why is such emotion coming out? And then having been through the journey myself and gone through it, you understand why? Because it's not, it's not the actual vision which is doing it, it's what's gone before, mm-hmm. it's what's happened before. That's what really makes them emotional. That's what
0: really brings it to the forefront. As you're getting older, what was that dream job that you're wanting? Was it always to be an athlete, or was there some other path that you were wanting to take, but maybe you didn't get to that spot that you wanted?
1: Um so when I was really young, I wanted to be a bus driver. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing I remember seeing the buses. We used to get on the bus, and I, I remember seeing this great big huge steering wheel thinking, whoa, that looks really <laughs> cool. um and then as i got older it was the police force which really turned my attention i thought oh, police force that i thought that's where i would go i thought that's what i would do um i was very very lucky in the sense that my parents believed i needed to get a really good education to scaffold alongside my swimming because i could break a leg i could mm-hmm. fall in love with it i could get an injury um I might not be good enough. There's so many things that, so many variables that could step in the way and stop me having this. So my mum and dad were always like, listen, we'll support you in your swimming, but we need to see your education. That's your kind of, that's your line to get you up to the top of this mountain. And it's also help me get back down to certain points as well, because that's important, a nice exit route. So um, the deal was I get my education alongside my swimming and the choice is mine. And luckily swimming happened, which is great. And there is an element of luck in there. But I was going to go into the police force. Um, I even got so far as interviewing some policemen. Um, got the chance, when I, whilst I was an athlete, to interview some police men and women. And it was a question that I asked them at the very end. I asked each of them, I think I interviewed four people. And I asked every one of them the same question at the end. I said, would you do anything different if you had your time around again and they all said yes (laughs) and I said what would that that different be and they all said I wouldn't go in the police force (laughs) and I went okay why and one guy in particular said something that made me sit up he said you know your personality really has to match up with what this job requires he said because nobody really calls the police out for a good time they call the police out to sort the stuff out that nobody else can he said, as long as you're up for that, and some people are, then go for it. If you're not, then don't. And I thought, I'm not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was that one answer to that one question sent me in a different direction. And I'm really grateful for it.
0: It's very interesting that you say that because it's so true. No matter where we are, it's the same kind of style where the police are always called for nothing that's fun. And I think when you see nowadays with social media, where you see those good moments and like i i just saw one on instagram it's where a little kid is driving his little car and a police officer pulls him over and you just see the interaction between that kid and the police officer that's those are the good times but we don't get to see that much because it's always negative stuff that's going on the air and i think it's true i think when you interview those people that have lived in that kind of field you kind of get their perspective and it kind of makes you rethink what what do I want to do now so you talked about getting that education what was that path that you were taking
1: um I mean I followed my passion which was sport um I did what was called my GCSEs so in the UK we do GCSEs after high school at the end of high school that gets you entry to college from college you do classically A-levels, I call them. Um, and I, I flunked them. I, I failed them within the first three months. Um, I was kicked out of college within the first three months at Christmas. Oh, and God. I didn't know what to do and why to go. Yeah, so I just I just had a really bad attitude towards my education and things were slipping away. Um, I reapplied back to college and took a different route. I took sports science. I absolutely loved it. And I flew through college after that. So it took an extra year to get there. Um, went on to university, stayed in the northeast of England and went on to Northumber University. And I remember at the time applying to uh, the university, um, got in on my education. And I was, I was supposed to be going there as a scholar. So I had a scholarship all lined up. And the week that I joined, they pulled my scholarship because I just wasn't good enough. Oh. And they gave it to another guy. And it really hit hard, really hit hard. But I made the move. I'd done the move. I'd done everything I could. So now I had to make good of something. And I had this claw back, this scholarship. And the very next year, I got myself onto an international team and I clawed it back and I got it back. And it was that, yeah. And I did sports science all the way, all the way through. It was that that really kept me moving, which was you place, you only rent in this space and let's get real. We're only renting this space in life, aren't we? <laughs> and you know, nothing's certain, nothing's for sure. And often we go into things and we want security, but actually security can sometimes make you soft because there's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no comfort in the growth zone is there really. So <laughs> the, the, t- the two go hand in hand Um. But when I joined I joined Newcastle Swimming Club at the same time as I moved over to university. So the state of Newcastle Swimming Club was an empire of a club at the time, huge club. And they already had international athletes there. And I'll never forget one of the very first sessions going in and just seeing how world-class athletes operate. They 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 understand that their time is limited and every last minute they get is a is theirs to take. And it was that shift that rechanged really changed everything in my education, in my swimming. And it was, how do I maximize every last little drop? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was kind of the key. That was a big key turning point, that, that move, working with
0: world-class athletes. You talked about you flunked out of that first time. Did you feel that you kind of felt like a failure to your parents in a way because they put that kind of idea where they need to make sure that you're getting that education? And did that kind of change your mindset? Maybe I find that different path that you said you found sports science and that was kind of the acceleration to be passionate about something else, including swimming. Um, yeah
1: yeah I did feel like a failure you know I felt like a failure a lot of things in my life but I've never seen failure as a dirty word you know often failure seems like this dirty word that you can't say to people but it's always been front and center with the conversations with the loved ones that I've had um, and what, what is interesting is I never ever felt that people were disappointed in us they were disappointed for us and I think the big difference when you're coaching someone when you're mentoring someone when you're bringing up someone that you make them understand that whilst you are disappointed for them, Mm -hmm. you're not disappointed in them. And that's, you know, that's the difference. Like with my kids, you know, if they've done something, I'll say to them, you know, you just made a a not very smart move. That's all you did. We just need to make sure next time we understand that we use our experience. So they can differentiate between a bad choice and a bad person. they are not a bad person. It's been a bad choice. (laughs) And emphasising that and letting them realise that. And that's what my parents did very well. Give them the due. They, they sat me down and said, OK, what are we going to do with this situation? Who are you going to pull in from the team to help you? They weren't saying, all right, you're a failure. What are you going to do? <laughs> saying, what are we going to do? And we're disappointed for you, but there's more in the locker and you're allowed to trip. You're allowed to fall. And, and especially when you're trying to achieve something extraordinary, which I suppose I was at the time. You know, I was... If, if I consider my average day was getting up at half four in the morning, get down to the pool for five o'clock. I put the lane ropes in, get the pool cover off, blast went down the pool for a couple of hours. And then I would go to university all day, college all day. I'd have loads of work to do afterwards, but then I'd have to go to the pool again for another two hours. Um, as I got older, I was going in the gym. So I was having to... Uh, put a a gym session in somewhere in the day so I'd go on my lunch hour and I'd get to a weekend thinking great here's the weekend and go straight to a competition all weekend around the country (laughs) and this was every week this was every week I remember sitting doing work on poolside and flying around the world when I got a little bit better and, and a bit older And I was at the time when we didn't have emails, I was faxing things back home. I was faxing work back home from around the world to try and get it marked and and picking up on a phone call, conversation, consultation with a, a university lecturer. And I think I did all of that alongside everything that I had going on with relationships, friendships, being a young person. And I was trying to achieve something extraordinary and like I always say to people, if you want something extraordinary to happen in your life, you have to be consistently extraordinary first. It doesn't happen the other way around. Mm-hmm. And we have to be consistently extraordinary more and more and more before we see the results. We have to really dig deep. And there's a risk there. There's a huge risk. There's a mass risk in that. But actually, when we take that brave step and we step into it, what I've realized and what I've learned in my own life is there is no risk there because when you're working on yourself, which I was doing and which we're all doing, if we're trying to achieve something big, it's never lost. You never lose it. You take it somewhere else. And if you do have to start again, which happens a lot, and I hate starting again. I'm not, not going to lie. The worst thing, we're never starting from scratch. We never ever start from scratch because we always start with more wisdom Mm -hmm. More experience, more failures under the belt. And and when we go at that, there's no such thing as win and lose. It's win or learn. And it's taken me a long time to really grasp that concept and really live it. Um, but with the new businesses fledging and going through COVID, I've really had to rely on that mindset of it's win or learn. What am I here to learn? Yeah. And where do I want to win? Where are my wins happening? Um because
0: it's a new world now. You talked about your schedule. And the one thing with athletes, it's the determination with their schedules, because obviously you started at 4am and you're going all the way to the night. Did you feel that you had like a social life where you were able to be yourself, have fun and just enjoy being a young person in a way? Because obviously your schedule is sounding like you're out in the workforce already and you're not getting to enjoy the things that a college person should enjoy.
1: Yeah. That's interesting that Alex, because, um, you know, people often think that the fun bit is the outcome standing on the podium It don't be wrong. It's a euphoric moment. It's phenomenal. You know, I was lucky enough to stand on a few podiums and take medals and, I became a double Commonwealth champion in Australia in 2006. Um, and hearing the national anthem being played and all of that was just incredible. But the thing that people don't vouch for, don't realize is the process is the fun bit as well. And I, I always differentiated between the two, you know, fun for me came from endeavor, came from challenge. I got a lot of a kick out of that. And You know, my social life was my work life as well. You know, some of my best friends, I met my wife when I was swimming. We then went on to have a family. You know, if it wasn't for swimming, I wouldn't have that. But we were clearly two spirits that wanted the same thing out of life. Mm -hmm. And that's still the same today. Even though we don't swim, we don't blast up down pools, we've got to learn the swim business that we teach nearly a thousand kids a week in our business. We, We work that together and we love it. And that for me was yeah it was hard because a lot of people would go don't you want to go out and get drunk don't you want to do this and there was only set times that you could actually do that there was times when you know my coach would say go get away i don't want to see you for the next two weeks go and have a holiday just behave yourself and come back in one piece and don't don't embarrass yourself off you go and and you would go and do your thing I'd do that for two weeks, but I was always chomping at the bit to come back to training, to get fit, get on the next next mission and get going again because the process for me was the important thing. And, you know, everybody wants to be part of the outcome. Everybody wants to be part of the good stuff and the outcome. But not everybody wants to be part of the process. And finding a world-class athlete is more about finding the person who's willing to be part of the process and live it and love it.
0: So we'll move forward and talk about your swimming career. How important and how big of an impact did it have representing Great Britain all across the world? Just, yeah, it was everything
1: to me. It was everything. You know, seeing people on my wall who were posters, people in posters who were heroes of mine to then step into their shoes and swim the pools that they had swum in and all of that. That, that for me, there was something deeper. Um, driving me at the club that i was at the swimming club newcastle swimming club they had them um, international flags all the way around where the ceiling met the wall so it was their international hall of fame and when you walked in the building what they would do is uh, you would see these flags they were front and center there was two main flags the olympic flag and the commonwealth flag and everybody wanted on those two but there was all these flags from different countries all around the world if you represented Great Britain in Italy, they'd take down the Italian flag and they'd stitch your name into it, put it back up there. Really cool. And yeah, just I remember season after season going, oh, My name's gonna be on there. My name's gonna be on there. It wasn't on there yet. Now it's just that's that's the competition I'm going for. And it's all around just pulling on that Great Britain jersey. You know, they would release the, the tracksuit design at the start of the season and go, right, that's mine getting in a tracksuit i'm getting one of those tracksuits you know i was i was part of the men's 100 meters breaststroke that was my main event in great britain at one point in time we had five british breaststroke swimmers 100 meters breaststroke swimmers in the top 20 in the world wow so if you went to some local meet and you were up against one of your arch rivals. You were having a world-class competition. You weren't having a weekend off. <laughs> you had a ding dong for any color medal. And that was really strange when you when you arrived on the GB team after beating these guys, I realized, hang on a second, I'm not just here just to make up some numbers. I'm in the final in good positions, ready to bring some silverware home. And that was the beauty of it. When the challenge is really high and you're constantly there, the things you can create from pushing yourself from your competition. I'm so grateful for those guys at the time. I wasn't at the time. I was like, why do these guys have to all be British? Why couldn't there just be another nationality? (laughs) Why do they have to turn up every weekend? Why can't they be ill or injured? (laughs) But actually what you got at the end of it was you got a better race ethic. You weren't left off the hook. And you had to really carve it out. And at those times when you were hurting, you had deadlines at university. You had people on your back for all sorts of reasons. You had to then focus and get that business. It's all those experiences that make you the person you are. They help scaffold your character. So racing for great Britain was just the ultimate for me. It was the best
0: experience ever. Yeah. With going to the Olympics, usually that first instinct, I don't know if it's because you see it on TV all the time, where you're walking with your country, basically, at the opening ceremony, getting that feel of, wow, I have made it. Did you feel that you have accomplished so much just being at that Olympics? Or you're like, how many more can I make in the amount of time that I have left?
1: Yeah, it was always the latter. It was always... How many more can I make? You know, how far can I push it? I'll be honest; I didn't celebrate my performance properly until I left swimming. It wasn't until three or four years afterwards that I stopped and went, "Oh yeah, I did that," (laughs) (laughs) because at the time I was just next, next, next. You know, you literally. My coach said to me once, and this this frames it up perfectly. The second you finish a race and touch the wall is the, first, the second year recovery for your next race. That says it all. Yeah. That says it all. That was the mentality of, as soon as you touch the wall, you're now recovering for your next race. And it was next, next, next. There's no let up. There's, yeah. And and you really feel the pace in sport. You know you're renting that spot. You're renting it. And you're renting it for a short period of time. And when you look back, historically, the majority of people spend about a roughly anywhere between 8 and 10 years at the top of their game. That's kind of the shelf life. So the second you enter it, you know you're on board time. <laughs> and you know this because younger athletes are coming through. And it doesn't matter how good you are, someone's always coming through thinking, I'm going to take your perch, I'm going to take your spot. Yeah, And that's what sport's all about. That's what sport is all about. So yeah, that that was kind of the mentality was next, next, next. And the danger there is you don't really stop to smell roses. I've, I've learned now, you know, I'm 42 next month and I've learned that actually we don't always need to be that way in order to be world class. We can, we can stop and appreciate where we are. And I don't have any regrets at all, but if there was to have one, it would be that I didn't stop enough pause and just look around and go, wow, it was always normalised this environment to dominate it that's what i was trying to do
0: i think definitely what swimming i mean is it, it, it's always like a full year sport in a way you're all you can swim at any time mm. even if it's indoors or outdoors and i think that's kind of goes with what you said with your regret is because you're always moving to that next competition with a lot of sports they have that off season where they're kind of taking it easier, but they're still practicing for the next season. And, but they're being able to reflect and stuff. And I think that's the one thing with swimmers is unless you're not competing at every event, you don't get that time to relax. Cause like you said, your coach said, you're recovering for that next race after you hit that wall.
1: Yeah. And you feel that, you feel that momentum and that move. And that's interesting because when I retired from swimming, I didn't have that all of a sudden it was a bit of a cliff edge, I'll be honest, you know, felt like I just fell straight off that cliff edge, and went through a really dark time—a good three years of I don't know what what I would label it as, but it was a really, really hard time mentally and emotionally. And it was because there was always a purpose. I always had a purpose. I woke up in the morning, and my minute by minute, my life was accounted for and owned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I needed to be somewhere to do something because I was heading somewhere. Now I didn't have anything to do and I had nowhere to head. And it was, yeah, it was the most bizarre feeling ever.
0: Yeah. Looking at your career, what is that one memory or accomplishment that is your favorite?
1: So many. Um, The one that I really loved reflecting on, the one I pinched myself, is I was in that last race. Alongside Michael Phelps, and um, when he won eight gold medals in Beijing, I was two lanes away with the British team. Um, we finished sixth as a relay as of a four, and being part of that was just phenomenal. At the time, I was really disappointed because whilst you know the American team were phenomenal, and they were, they, there was other colour medals that were up for grabs, and they were, we just didn't perform as well on the day. But my performance, my individual performance in that team was the best I ever did. And that was the last time I raced. Last time I ever raced. And I really didn't hit a pool again after that. And I feel really, I feel really satisfied deep down in my heart that my best performance was my last one. Because I know a lot of athletes who fizzle out and, you know, they come back because they don't know where to go, what to do. I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to be that guy who reached his peak, found his peak, felt satisfied with his peak, and then walked off. And that's exactly what I did. And I realized at that point that whilst I was heading for something that was inevitable, like a cliff edge, actually that's the best way to do it, is to leave your best behind and give it everything you've got. Because that's ultimately that's what success really is. Success isn't always a gold medal. It isn't always the best time is your best time. And that's completely changed the way I view competition
0: now and the way I operate in my new business life. When you were thinking about retiring or ending your swimming career, what was the main thing that was making you make that decision? Was it the competition is getting younger and, or, but you said that your best performance was your last performance. Did you not feel that you had anything else to prove to yourself?
1: Um, that's a really good question, that one. I, I reached a stage where I just didn't feel as passionate about it. And I didn't want to fall out of love with swimming. Um, I'm, I'm an all or nothing character. I'm all or nothing. I either eat the full plate of food or nothing at all. There's no, there's no leftovers on the plate for me. And I'm like that with everything. And I have to manage that. It's quite a hard thing. You know, I can't just go for a run. I have to go for the run, you know, the ultimate run. I don't just go for a run. I try a marathon. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm like that with everything that I do. And I think that comes from that perfectionist mindset. And when I really sat down, before Beijing, I uh, worked out and understood that the, the next four years following that weren't to take. There was just a different feeling about the planning. But we put something in place just in case, just in case I came back and felt different. And I didn't, I just knew, I just knew it was time to move on. The scary bit was what to, that was the real scary bit. Um, but I did move on and I'm so grateful I did. Because like I say, I can walk away now and say my last ever race, my last ever pool visit was an Olympic final where, you know, it was part of World Swimming history. I mean, eight gold medals for seven world records. Michael Phelps is just the biggest legend going. It's just phenomenal. Guy's a hero. Um, and, yeah, just to be be anywhere near and part of it, it's just, a, yeah, it's a dream.
0: Looking post-career, do you ever get that itch to – maybe I want to compete again, or I want to get back into that competitive style, or are you happy with what you're doing and cheering on your country wherever they're at? Yeah,
1: I, again, the latter. I'm just, I love, it's two things I love. I love one fact is I could not have got any more out of my own career and I feel really proud of that. There's nothing more. Yes, I would have loved different outcomes. That's different. when i look at how i delivered the process i I don't feel like i could have done anything different i don't feel like i didn't ask myself any tough questions i asked myself the toughest questions i possibly could and i reached my 100 percent. but this the, the second thing that i absolutely love is i've come into this new chapter and that's how i see it this new chapter that i started and I went at it with an experimental mindset of I'm just going to experiment. I'm just going to try a load of things. And if it don't work, just like any good experiment, there's no such thing as failure. You just get results. You might not like the results and you might have to go back and change the methodology. (laughs) And I changed the methodology a lot in the last 10 years, Alex, (laughs) a lot. Um, But eventually reached a position now where, you know, I may have turned right one time and then left the next. and, And now I'm just slowly bringing it back to the center And I would say the last four years, yeah, maybe the last five years, I'm more blissful than I've ever been in so many areas of my life. Personal, business, personal development. You know, there's so many areas in my life that I feel like something's happening, something's moving again. You know, I am seeing success starting to come back. But the thing I was really frightened of, and I think a lot of people are, and I, you, you, might, you might help me out on this as well, is I was frightened to start again. And that's the bit that I was really scared of. I was scared of being a novice again. I was scared of being in a position of vulnerability to go, I need help on everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not just one thing. And I ended up getting into positions where I was, because I was frightened to start again, I wasn't starting things properly. I was trying to start on step 19, instead of just going to step one and just taking the vulnerable
0: path. I don't know if that fits with you as well. No, I, as you're telling that story, it kind of goes with how I started this show in a way. I think I look at, really? there's so many shows out there and how is someone that doesn't have an, a social media presence, isn't a celebrity, isn't famous or anything, gonna get themselves out there? And I knew that it's going to have to take baby steps. And when I'm getting all these messages from people who say they're experts in a way, and they're saying, you need to do this, you need to do this. But every time they're saying it, it's like, you have to pay me to do it. And I always go back to this one where um, this person's like, uh," how does he say it? Oh, you need to pay me because I can teach you how to get celebrities. And he's naming these celebrities. I'm like, who? Who? Who are these people? Like, they're not the celebrities (laughs) I'm thinking of. And then I look at the people that I've had on the show where it's people I've grown up watching on TV, people I've idolized, people who have big names. And I'm getting people that are reaching out to me. And I'm thinking, what did I do? I mean, how did they find me? But it's the greatest feeling (laughs) ever because it's just it shows that I've done something right. And I think one person from your country, the gladiator show is like, was a huge thing. And the guy, uh, his name was ace on the show. We were following each other on Twitter and I just reached out to him just a long shot if he's going to respond. And when he responded and we did the interview, I was like, wow, okay. I have something going, but it just kept giving me the confidence. And I knew it's just going to have to take yeah. slow. And like you said, I tried going out there and messaging people. And if I didn't get a response, it's like, okay, you never know. It's always keeping yeah. that mindset that yeah. they can always come back and say something. And yeah, I don't think I'm an expert yet, but... I keep learning, and that's what I've utilized the show. Is every single interview I do, I learn something to how to get better as an individual, and yeah. even those experts, I learn something from them. I always try to learn, and I think that's what we all have to do. I think no one's an expert and knows everything. I wish I could say I knew everything, but I don't know if I would be in this field if I was knowing everything I knew. <laughs> that's so true. And I think that's such a good mindset to have. You know, I've got
1: a mantra that I live by, and that is I'm not an expert, I'm still a student. But, and, and people kind of frown on the student mentality as though it's a, a novice. Actually, it's not. It's a mindset, which is like you said, I'm here to learn. I'm yep. just here to learn. Yep. And if I can learn something from this experience, that means you're in the moment. If you're in the moment and you're soaking up everything, your body and your mind is taking in all these experiences. and that's important, especially if you want to be world-class. And before you know it, you just turn around and you look and you go, wow, I created this view (laughs) and
0: started with action. Because I want to look back 10 years from now and say, look at all the stuff I've been able to accomplish because I didn't take a no. I didn't let people tell me what I needed to do. I ended up just doing it and going for it. I think you can't, can't do that nowadays you have to this i guess the pandemic has been the perfect timing for this because i needed that yeah. something because people were going furloughed they were losing their jobs and i was like i have to keep myself busy and i've taken something and yeah. i've enjoyed every second of it i mean i wish i started it earlier but it just wasn't the timing it felt like the timing was right at the moment
1: brilliant brilliant and that's great to hear you know and so many people who've been agile, like yourself, have seen the opportunities to just make that change. Because the pace of change in life is not going to get any slower. Technology's pushing the change even faster. Yeah, And it's that speed that means that we have to be adaptable more than ever. But the interesting thing about adaptability is human beings are the most adaptable species on the planet. Yet we bitch and moan about it the most (laughs) and when change comes out when change comes our way whether we we don't like it because we like to be comfortable so we've got this skill set to be able to adapt in so many ways but we prefer to stay stagnant because that feels nice and tickly and comfortable but actually the 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 discomfort and the uncomfortable bit is where the real good stuff comes from Mm -hmm. and it's as much as I don't like change, now when change starts to happen, I sit there going, I rub my hands, I go, what's coming? What's happening? Because yeah. whilst I don't like this, I know something's about to be landed on my lap, and that is an exciting thing. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, went through lockdown and they stayed in that lost mindset. You know, we've lost normal. People still talk about it, they're still desperate to get back to what they used to do. And the first thing I say to my coaching clients is don't go back to what you did. Take all the good stuff from this experience and make sure you integrate it, make that hybrid mix because there's some wonderful things happened in this lockdown. But if we constantly stay in a mindset of sacrifice, we only ever see the loss. We only ever see the loss. You know, people look at sacrifice and they go, oh, but we've lost this and we've lost that. And we're desperate to get back to normal. And I, I would say, just, just forget that for now and start to look at what you've
0: got. Cause what you've got is phenomenal. Yep. I think even if we look at all the, like with your, where you're at and where I'm at and where we live, we're <laughs> all going through the similar things and we're all adapting to the new way yeah. of living. And you just have to keep going like keep a positive mind and the more the negative comes out the harder it's going to get because that impact is going to affect so many people and it, it's just a domino effect and i think we're all seeing that with everything yeah. that's been happening
1: you're so right i think you know i, I do uh, talks to all different organizations and businesses around the world and i do i do a talk called the two lengths it's my story of my Right at the top, and I talk about the power of keeping things simple. And off the back of that, I often do spin-off sessions. So I'm doing one tonight, actually, um, to a, a business in in Australia, I think, later on. And I do I do this talk around building a strong mind. And one of the areas is somebody asked me a question ages ago, and they said, "You know, how do you stay positive all the time?" And I said, "Do you, do you is that your impression of me? I'm positive all the time." So yeah, you're like. So you positive all the time. I'm like, nah, nah, Get me wrong, I'm, I'm actually not. I have negative thoughts. I have negative moments. But if what you've seen is optimism, I'll accept that. And there's a massive difference between the two. You know, optimism for me is about understanding that whilst you're still going through some bad patches, there will be something that will change. Everything always does. Our bodies have changed since we've been on this this chat. Yeah. And. When we accept that and embrace that change into our life, we go with the flow of it. When we resist it, when we fight it, that's when we get diseased. That's when we have that disease. And that's the important point to, to, to hinge on is when we when we accept that flow, when we accept that change, and we go with that flow, and we go with that change, and we are agile and we do adapt. You can create some amazing things because. A new way of seeing can lead to always a new way of being, and that's a really important factor in anyone's mindset, staying optimistic.
0: Talk about what you're doing now. Like, What kind of path are you taking and what gets you excited and what are you trying to accomplish nowadays?
1: So, um, two things. I've got my learn to swim business, which I'm starting to bring back from COVID. Um, we are halfway there. We've just got the green light to get kids back in the water. We teach swimming. We don't coach it. We teach it. So one day, once they've got four nice looking strokes, we then pass them on to swimming clubs, and that's our job done. And um, that's really grown. We've got a great reputation in our local area. I'm excited to to build that again. And um, July is looking like the time when we can start to really put some rubber on the tracks and get more kids in. So I'm I'm excited about that. But the second part, which is just as exciting, if not more, is the new business I created during COVID. Um, So prior to COVID, I was a guest speaker, physical presence guest speaker. So I'd get up on actual real stages, (laughs) not virtual ones. And I would travel around Europe and parts of the world and mostly the UK talking on all different subjects around mindset and performance and... When lockdown hit last March, um, whether I underestimated it or not, um, I think I did. I thought it was only going to be a few weeks. So, I, I, in my mindset, I was thinking after after Easter we'll be we'll be back, you know, five weeks time. And one person said to me when I said, "Oh, we'll be back in the water, and we'll be back doing our thing after Easter," somebody said, "Which Easter? <laughs> Meaning, is it next year, or the year after?" <laughs> and they were right. <laughs> And so my mindset was, this is going to come back real soon. This is only a virus, let's get over it. And boy, was I wrong and I lost my income from both my businesses. And that was scary, Alex, you know, I've got, I've got two kids, I've got family, I've got bills, I've got a house and all that in between. And I spent a good few weeks mourning and reacting. I was in a very reactive state. I was very emotional. And then once I started to come out the other end of that, I started to respond because there's a big difference between reaction and response. And I started to learn to respond better. And I started to put a pen to paper and realized that actually I'm in a really tight spot here. I need to, I need to do something to get out of it. And I started to move my services online. Didn't really enjoy it. I'll be honest with you. I'm not very techy. I'm techy enough to get by, but oh, I'm always worried that it's going to break or something's going to happen and all that stress in between. And little bit by little bit, I started claw back business to the point where last December, just before Christmas, I looked over the people that I had in my diary and it was completely new business. I had 16 new clients and five brand new companies that I'd never ever worked before. I've never shaken hands with these people. Mm -hmm. I've never even been in the same room as these people. Now I'm doing business. March, I had a record sales month of my two lengths talked to businesses and my coaching offer to mentor and coach people. And I've got 32 brand new clients. I've only met one of them face to face. And I'm going to be working with Microsoft this month, I would never have thought of working with a company as big as Microsoft. And it's just opened doors that I didn't even know were there, but it needed me to be ready. Mm -hmm. I I was resisting it. I was blocking it. I was stopping it. I was doing the old things. The old thing worked. We've always got to do the old things. It works. And I never challenged it. And COVID gave me a big dry slap across the face. (laughs) and got me to sit up and realize that there's a new world now emerging and a new way of seeing needs to be applied. And that took a bit of time, but now I'm I'm more excited
0: than ever. It just shows how big adaptability is because you had to adapt to what's happening and it proved to give you, it opened more doors. And I think that's, it's just amazing because now, having that success and getting microsoft which is such a huge company it's almost like what else is next it's always exciting to know what's that next step because it it gets bigger and bigger even if you get those little companies it's still an exciting because it's an opportunity because you never know who you're going to talk to so true
1: and i've met some amazing people i mean one of my coaching and clients the other day just said, "You've changed my life," and I've never shook your hand. <laughs> and that 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 is that's the best endorsement I've ever heard, <laughs> ever heard. And I, I just I sat there and I was I had a lump in my throat. I started filling up because my job now I want to help people. I love service. I love that idea of service. I love the idea of watching a child go from kicking and screaming when they're coming in, not wanting to be going in the water, to all of a sudden over the six years they're with us coming out the other end going I can swim like a fish look at me (laughs) you know and these kids have got all this confidence but I also love that CEO or that managing director or that middle manager who comes to us and goes I want this I just just don't know how to get there how do I get there I'm like well we can work together on that and um, yeah cheesy as it sounds I feel like I'm in a position to really powerfully impact and change people's lives and that is, that is the most exciting bit. Out of any figures that I've got, that's, that's the most exciting feeling I've got is I feel like I've got this blueprint and I'm desperate to share. And when people grasp it and they get it, they see how simple and straightforward it is.
0: It changes the way they see the world and the way they operate in it. It's an amazing feeling. I mean, it's exciting to see what's next for you. So speaking of what's next, what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years personally and professionally?
1: So professionally by September, we want to emerge from this stronger. The start of the pandemic, I wrote down a phrase emerge stronger and I put it on the wall in my office. And I wrote it on a big bit of paper, just a scrap bit of paper, Emerge Stronger. And every day I came in the office, that was my task. Every action, every thought, every person I spoke to, every client I signed on board was supposed to be helping me emerge stronger. So that's our mission with both businesses, my speaking and coaching business, but also my learn to swim business. And we are, I would say we are 70% of the way there. The rest of the the 30 is just left in the lab of the gods to let us come back from this virus. That's kind of what's kind of holding one or two of them back. Personally, I'm building on my confidence as a coach now and a speaker. Um, prior to COVID, I was very confident in my message. But COVID somehow has just allowed me that opportunity to, the last year has allowed me that opportunity to really live my message again. And I spoke a lot about resilience I spoke a lot about how to come back from a really tough challenge, but actually COVID or going through it myself, I had to apply those tools again and do them in the dark. because We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how long it was going to be. So we were all in the dark. Well, actually that's the best place to stress test something when you don't know for certain where it's going to come off. So maybe being able to live and breathe these tools again and use them, has given me this just insane confidence that this stuff works this stuff works that i know and i'm sharing with clients so that for me was that. that's another personal mission of mine is to just build on that confidence because you know, i believe confidence comes from evidence the more evidence we create the more confident we get and then that experience that you get from that tends into wisdom and that's why i'm you sat there with your slippers on and your pipe in your mouth when you're old and gray you can talk from that point of almost absolution because you've been around the block a fair few times and what you've gained is evidence and you look at life very differently so professionally emerge stronger personally my mission is to on this wonderful feeling this confidence that i've got
0: is that what the c behind you represents the confidence even though i know what it probably represents but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right Alex it's confidence <laughs> so looking at your awesome. journey and experience for someone that's listening to this interview what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge
1: okay well firstly they've got a personalized mindset is to the mental toughness Every element of your journey is going to require some adaptability. You've got to be ready to adapt. Seeking growth is probably one of the biggest skills that you could employ on a regular basis. Just going out and seek, not waiting for it. Actually going out to meet it and meet it face to face. And another one is be prepared and open to face your challenge. You know, this is a session I used to do with young people in schools when I was frotting around schools a few years ago. I used to talk about facing your challenge. For some people, it might be an attitude problem. For some people it might be confidence. For others, it might be to be more social. What that challenge is, when we face that challenge, and every one of us knows what our challenge is, whether we say, oh, I don't really have a challenge. We do. When we face that thing, that's when life really opens up. It's not just about the endeavor, the challenge, i.e. a gold medal. That, that, that's the challenge that puts something around my neck. I get it. But to get that medal around my neck, I had to learn to focus. That's a big challenge. I lacked a bit of focus when I was younger. And when we listen to these things that are behind the outcome, when we really focus on them, we meet those, and we seek that growth, incredible things can happen. Patience is a big one. You know, the world is in a big rush these days, a massive rush. It's only going to get quicker. There are some things, in fact, the things worth fighting for the ones that take time. Yep. They take time. Give it, give it time because time can be this beautiful thing that if you just allow it to open up and work hard at it and keep your head down, it can do something incredible work hard still works (laughs) i say this to people all the time you know hard work still works you know don't cut corners because when you ultimately get there the real feeling you want is to look back and say i did that and i'm satisfied and that's that's the big thing and then i suppose the last thing is do it with people you know don't try and do it alone um there's a massive strength in sharing and showing your vulnerability. In fact, there's a beautiful strength comes from sharing and showing your vulnerability and you build trust with people, you build empathy with people. And, you know, I always say to my clients, there's a massive difference between arrogance and confidence, huge difference. They operate from two different places, but there looks like a really fine line. There's a very, very big difference. You know, confidence comes from self-belief. Arrogance comes from people who are scared, they're frightened. And it's it's that mentality that when we do it with people, when we share and show our vulnerability, we end up going on a journey with that team. And they might not directly be in your team. They might not even know they're in your team, <laughs>
0: but they can still be in your team, if you know what I mean. Yep. And they would be my top tips. I, I think all of those are great. And I think someone that's listening to this, they can pinpoint one thing that you mentioned and utilize that in their life and try to look at that and see how they can incorporate that. So Chris, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you.
1: Oh, Alex, thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed this. new
0: are fab. Absolutely brilliant. So well done for what you've created. Tune in to my next guest to talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for the full length episode and video formatting. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.